There's an old preacher's story. The preacher walks up to the pulpit. The window's open on a summer day. And a breeze comes through the sanctuary and his notes go out the window. And he says, when I came in here, I and God knew what I was going to say. Now only God knows. Something similar happened to me. Wrote up my sermon, got it all set up in Microsoft Word. And my printer ran out of toner. It wouldn't print. Not a problem, right? I've got a spare cartridge because it warned me two weeks ago that it was going to run out. So I take out the brand new spare cartridge and it doesn't work. They sent me the wrong one. So, at this point, I have got some scratch notes and we'll see how this works. What I want to talk to you about today is said. I was listening to your prayers today and sprinkled throughout all of them was the concept of chesed. Now, you can't translate it. You can't translate chesed because there's no equivalent in English. And in fact, when Coverdale, who was translating the Bible into English in 1550s, hit that word, he invented an English word to put in there because there's no English equivalent. And what he put in there was loving kindness. English Standard Version calls it steadfast love. In the New Testament, the equivalent word there is charis, which means grace. So it means lots of things. It's not a word that you can translate. It's a word you have to explain. And of course, when you're writing a translation of a Bible, having an explanation every time that word shows up is a little bit awkward, hence the invention of English words to sort of stand for it. It shows up 245 times in the Tanakh, which sort of would indicate that it's important. Two-thirds of those references in the Tanakh refer to the character of God himself. Some of them are among people and so forth, but most of them have to do with God. So as I was listening to your prayers this morning, you were talking about comforting one another, you were talking about being here for one another and coming to this place and worshiping and being together. You were talking about things that are chesed, which sort of gave me confidence that I was on the right track. Certainly God manifests loving kindness. Why is that important to us? First thing is because we want to be like him. The whole point of this part of your life where you are in the world is so that you can become more like him. One of the objects of the exercise. One of the things that the New Testament talks about is the process of becoming more like Christ, having the mind of Christ, for example. And of course, if you are like I am, a believer that Christ is the Son of God, he is also God himself, then Yeshua exhibits loving kindness or grace as it is in the New Testament so you want to be like him if you go to Micah 6.8 where it says what does the Lord require of you but to do justice love kindness has said and walk humbly with your God I mean it's certainly a passage that everybody here knows so God expects us to develop this attribute of has said he tells you to Furthermore, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, 
to love chesed. There are two attributes of God's character. One is chesed and the other is justice. Lots of attributes, but those are sort of the two main attributes when we deal with God. When I was looking all this up last night, a guy was commenting on Coverdell's translation in the process, and he went into sort of a riff on God's relationship with Israel, and he being a Christian, probably a dispensationalist, I am guessing, okay, I I don't know that much about the guy, but he was saying over and over and over and over and over again, Israel violated the covenant and set themselves up where God's attribute of justice was operational. What he said was, God's attribute of a said loving kindness is ever so slightly stronger than his attribute of justice. So yeah, he has exercised justice on Israel as he does on everybody, but ever so slightly stronger is his attribute of chesed, loving kindness. Hence, he doesn't actually destroy Israel. He doesn't actually destroy us, although very frequently we could certainly be said to deserve it. So that's the balance, if you will, between justice and mercy in the attributes of God. Now, one of the things that lots of people observe, in fact, I think everybody observes it, there's a phrase that I haven't heard in a long time, but it used to be kind of popular when I was younger. This world is a veil of tears. Reading the Musar book by uh, Alan Morenus, and he had really kind of a nice way of saying it said, into the fabric of everybody's life, there are some black threads woven. Of course, the black threads he's talking about are the veil of tears part of this existence. So we all have things that happen in our life that are not good. You all know people, I do, who say, I could never worship a God who, and they list some horrible thing I could never worship a God who allows that, whatever that is. And we can all look at this world and we can see instances of injustice that are obviously unjust. And you say, why is God letting that happen? And as I say, it tips some people to reject God. There was some PhD in a university somewhere, which sort of tells you what you're dealing with, His attitude was, this world is so horrible that I could never worship a God that created a place like this. Furthermore, when I die, if I am invited in the presence of God to come and sit down with him, I will refuse. And this is, you know, a bright guy, bright intellectually anyway. This is not a stupid person, but he is so focused on the negative side that he can't see the loving-kindness side of God. So what our job is, part of our job, got lots of jobs, is as we go through the world, when you see opportunities to make the world easier for someone else, that's chesed. That's loving-kindness. Now Yeshua has some words to say on that, by the way. I'm in Matthew chapter 5. 
And I'm going to pick it up at verse 43, the last paragraph of the chapter. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Now notice the reasoning there. You can be sons of the Father. And the thing about a son is the son has some of the characteristics of the father. I mean, that's why children are born into families. So they have parents that can bring them up and they can develop the characteristics of their parents. So what Yeshua is saying here is, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son, S-U-N, rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So as you're looking at the attribute of loving kindness or chesed in God, what he is saying is, now again, don't get me wrong. You all are praying for each other. You're praying for the congregation, the community. You're praying to do good to each other. That's okay. But that's not what God is talking about here. The fact that you comfort one another when you mourn, the fact that you help one another out when you need help, all those things are wonderful. Nothing wrong with that. I'm not suggesting in any way that you should stop doing that. But what I'm saying is, that isn't what we're talking about. What we're talking about when we're talking about chesed is all them heathens out there. Because God's attribute of mercy, loving kindness, grace, however you want to translate it, is showered abroad on everybody. The wicked as well as the good. And this is Johnnyology. I firmly believe that one of the reasons he does that is in the hope that some of the wicked will change. And you don't know how it's going to work out until the end. And that's one of the things that I comfort myself with as we go through this very difficult world that we're in, is God's perspective is different than mine. His horizon is different than mine. My horizon is sort of what's in front of me and what do I got to deal with and what problem do I got to solve right now? God's perspective is way broader than that. So when Scripture says that he exercises loving kindness upon the whole world, even if you can't see it, you can trust that it's true. As I say, my personal perspective is one of the reasons that he doesn't toast just a whole lot of people that in my humble opinion need toasting right now is because his perspective is far greater than mine. And I think that he is giving them every opportunity to change. I'm not so patient, but I'm trying to be. One of the things that Morenus does is he translates said slightly differently. The way he translates it is sustaining steadfast love. And the key here is the word sustaining. Because first off, steadfast means it's consistent. 
keep doing it. But sustaining means that it is love that sustains the other. So it isn't just big smiles and friendship, although those are, those are really nice and important, and sometimes that's what somebody needs. But it's also giving of your time, giving of your attention, giving of your substance. Whatever the one who is in need of sustenance needs, grace moves you to give it to him. Now, let me make a qualifier here. Like everything in this world, Satan has managed to corrupt it. Love between man and woman, Satan managed to corrupt that, in case you hadn't noticed. Everything that God has made for good, Satan has developed a counterfeit for to corrupt. And chesed is no different. Again, I'm riffing off of Morinus in his Musar book. There's a difference between receiving and taking. And God is a giver. Period. Because there's nothing that we have that he needs. So everything that God does is an act of giving. He has, however, made us so that we can also receive, because if we couldn't receive, there'd be nothing to give. Because in the case of said, if you find somebody that needs sustenance, and sustenance may be emotional, it may be physical, I'm using it in a very broad term. If you find somebody who needs that and you give it to them, that person is receiving. Without somebody to receive, there's no possibility of giving. So we are able to receive. The satanic counterfeit of that is taking. And in that case, what the taker does is he views everything that he can see as potentially his if he can figure out a way to get his hands on it. They are grasping, if you will. One of the rabbis said that that taking impulse is the source of all evil in the world. And I think that's pretty correct. So the satanic counterfeit to receiving, in other words, someone is hurting and you give and they receive, which is perfect and healthy, is someone who takes. Let me give you an example in our own world. I was out walking on the path the other day, which I do two or three times a week. Take a nice, brisk couple-mile walk. Beautiful, bright, sunshiny Colorado day. I'm not wearing a mask. And I'm walking along on Christmas Eve, beautiful day, making sure that I stay at least six feet away from everybody as I pass them, and I'm saying Merry Christmas. And some people say, Merry Christmas back to me, and some people just go like this, with their heads down and won't meet my eyes. Okay, that's all fine. So Kay is on this neighborhood email list, next door neighbor, and somebody wrote in and said, I was walking on 75th Street and this COVID-idiot drove up within two feet of me and said, Merry Christmas. And what he did is he ruined my Christmas because now I'm afraid I'm going to catch COVID. Now, the reason I brought this up and the reason that it's important is I don't know whether she is genuinely frightened. I don't think it was me because the place where she said it happened was not where I was doing it. I mean, 75th is sort of the entrance of the path. Maybe me, may may not. I I don't know the answer to that. But it caused me to think. 
What if this woman is genuinely terrified? What if I have, by my thoughtlessness, in air quotes, in fact ruined a Christmas? That's possibility number one, and I have to think about that. Possibility number two is she is using her vulnerability as a weapon. And by the way, that's what political correctness is. Where, oh, you can't say that because it will make left-handed Albanians feel bad. I'm serious. The list of things that somebody has said you can't say anymore is getting deeper by the minute. Brown bagging, for example, is now forbidden. I don't know who it's forbidden by, but what the heck. But that is chesed being used as a weapon against you. Because what it does is it plays on your desire to sustain, to support, not cause offense, to not make somebody else's life miserable. And that's now being used as a weapon. As I say, everything that God made for our good, Satan has made a counterfeit for. So, as I go walking, I am now going to think and pray, do I really want to start wearing a mask on my walks? In other words, is this woman sincere? Did I mess her up? Did I ruin her Christmas for her? And she whined on along, but oh, I haven't seen my 74-year-old father in a year, and all that kind of stuff, because she is afraid. And if that's a legitimate fear, then I should be exercising kindness toward her. The thing is, I can't tell. I mean, this is just an email that flows across. There's nothing you can tell from that. It could be cynical or it could be sincere. Nobody knows. That's the problem with email communication. You just don't know that stuff. But you understand the question that it raises in my mind. And those kinds of questions should be raised in your mind as you're going through the day. Are your actions, your behavior, your speech, whatever, tearing somebody down or are they building up? And that's not always easy. As, as in the case of this lady walking on the path. I have no idea which way this works for her. But it's a question I have to take seriously. Again, when I was out walking past a house and you had the entire family gathered out on the lawn because they didn't want to be in the house together, bright Colorado sunshine spread out in a fairy ring circle, everyone wearing a mask. God bless them. They are gathering on Christmas. They are trying to do what they want to do. But how you deal with that is situation dependent. But it's something you need to think about. It's something you need to be aware of. And you need to be aware both of the legitimate trepidation that people fear, and you also need to be aware of the satanic counterfeit, where they are trying to use their fear their uncomfortableness, whatever, to manipulate you. But the point is, I would suggest that if you don't know, you err on the side of grace. That's what I'm suggesting. Now, your soul changes through action. You can say all you want, I'm going to be more gracious, I'm going to exhibit more chesed, I'm going to do better, but unless you actually do it, nothing ever changes. So, 
one of the things that the Musar masters do is they go out and look for opportunities to exercise grace. In other words, they make it an intentional, propulsive thing as opposed to sort of waiting for opportunities to show up. And by the way, you typically don't have to look very far. As I said, everybody's life has a black thread that runs through it, so everybody has the opportunity for you to exercise chesed. One of the things I was talking about last week when I was speaking, and Matthew and I were talking about this morning, is the United States right now is seeing its institutions systematically burned down and discredited. Universities have become jokes. The example I used last time was Dr. Jill Biden. Congress has sort of always been a joke, but they have become more so. The FBI has now lost its credibility. Most of the government has lost its credibility. Churches have pretty much lost their credibility. The media has lost its credibility. They're now called fake news. I'm not particularly lamenting or cataloging those institutions that have failed. What I am saying to you is the people who have depended on those institutions are now at sea. The things that they have thought are solid and stable are no longer solid and stable. And by the way, I think that's one of the reasons that the panic due to the China virus spread so quickly. Because so many things have been cut out from under people because they have been revealed to be corrupt and venal. So you've got lots of people out there right now that have got little knots in the pit of their stomach because they don't see anything stable, they don't see anything solid, they don't know what to do, they're frightened. That, I am suggesting, presents you with an opportunity. That's where the exhibiting of chesed, loving, sustaining kindness, can be a blessing. The Musar masters purposefully go out and look for opportunities. What I'm suggesting to you is a target-rich environment out there. There are lots of people that are in really bad emotional shape. Lots of them are in bad financial shape because their businesses have been destroyed. Lots of them are not sure how they're going to survive physically. This is an opportunity for us. As I said at the beginning, the fact that you all are praying for the congregation, praying for each other, praying to sustain and help each other is wonderful. I am delighted. But it's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is all them heathens out there who need the love of God in their lives. And I'm going to echo Messiah. What good does it do you if the only place you ever show your grace is among your friends? What good does it do you if you show your grace expecting something in return? What good does it do you if you only do the things you're comfortable with? The answer to that is nothing. doesn't do you any good at all. I mean, again, don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting that you stop helping each other. That's a good thing. But it's not the grace that God showers on the world. And that's what you want to get into. Et ha-shamah.